Hey creator, I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. And before we get started on today's podcast, which is all about that new recent ruling by the US Court of Appeals DC circuit, all about net neutrality, that is really striking fear into the heart of creators, I wanted to talk a little bit about my new website called iancorzine.com. At the website, you can find free links to checklists, guides, and all the information you need to be able to create better videos, better music, and better podcasts on your social media platforms. For all that, just go to iancorzine.com. All right, let's hit this. social media lawyer, Ian Corzine. Welcome to the Social Media Law Podcast. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. And on this podcast, I give creators and entrepreneurs like you the legal advice you need to succeed on social media. Today, we're going to go into deep net neutrality, and we're going to read and we're going to review that recent ruling that just came out at the beginning of this month, I think it was October 1st, 2019, where the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit made a ruling on net neutrality that's going to affect us creators out there. During the podcast or later, whenever you want to email me some questions or some comments about today's podcast, feel free to email me at podcast at iancorzine.com or hit me up on Twitter at Ian Corzine. All right, now let's dive into the issue of net neutrality and how this new court case affects creators like you and me and our ability to have equal access to the internet. Speaking of the internet, the first thing I want to talk about is the internet and what it is. How is it that you and I are able to spend five minutes online and able to get airplane tickets, let's say to Bangkok, so quickly and with such ease that it is the most amazing thing that has happened to us in the last 20 or 30 years. Well, the reason why you're able to do that is because of the internet. And the internet works with four main participants. The first one are the end users. These are the people like you and me who subscribe to a broadband provider, and that's how we get internet access at our homes or our offices. The second participant in the internet structure are broadband providers. So that could be Verizon, Spectrum, you know, Com- Comcast, AT&T, whoever can deliver the internet to your house or to your office is a broadband provider. And then the third participant are the backbone networks. And these are these large pipelines that exist throughout the world that the broadband providers contract with to be able to transfer signals very quickly back and forth among the different locations, the different countries. And these are usually fiber optic lines and they have super high speed routers that allow so much information to be transferred at the same time. The next and the final participant in the internet are edge providers. And edge providers are like Netflix or Google or Amazon, the larger companies that oftentimes transmit their signal directly to the broadband providers, or they might even own their own backbone networks. So because the internet has become so important in society, there have been a lot of people out there and a lot of creators especially who are beginning to become worried for the future of the internet. And they're worried specifically about broadband providers' relationships with edge providers. 
what if broadband providers started to charge more to be able to access certain edge providers? What if a broadband provider entered into a contractual relationship with an edge provider and kind of promised to divert traffic to that edge provider uh, and, and then slow down the traffic to the other? So let's say you had a, you know, Verizon entered into a deal with Hulu. And so it was going to make Hulu transfer of data faster than, let's say, Netflix. What if this happens? What if there's unequal access to the internet, unequal flow of information? Well, a lot of these proponents started to figure out ways that they could require broadband providers to provide equal access to the internet for the same fees across the board. And one way to do that is to designate broadband providers as common carriers. Common carriers have existed a long time in America. They're basically, they can be private entities or governmental entities, but the bottom line is society has deemed their services so important that they are going to create a governmental regulatory commission to oversee the services so that they can have key components for common carrier status. And those key components are one, there is no right to refuse service to people who want it. Anybody who wants a phone line has equal access to go to the phone company and say, I'd like a phone line. It doesn't matter about their ethnicity, what country they come from, what language they speak. They have equal access to a common carrier services. So a good example might be like a post office. Everyone, it's, it's not a right, but basically they have the right to go to the post office and mail uh, a letter for a certain fee. Uh, they cannot be turned down based upon any reason other than the fact that they don't have the, you know, 35 cents or whatever it costs to mail a letter. Phone company, like I talked about before, they can't turn down service to people who want it. Common carriers have to charge the same price for the same service. The law does make room for enhancements. So like, give the example will be Amtrak. You know, if you go on a trip on an Amtrak train, you could pay more for first class. But if you travel coach, everyone who travels coach on Amtrak has to pay the same fee. Taxi cabs are common carriers because we don't want them to be able to ignore certain potential passengers based upon whatever discriminatory practice they have. Wireless phone companies can't charge men more than women for services on their mobile networks. The final thing to understand about common carriers in American law is that they are heavily regulated. That's one of the problems. Um, there is usually a regulatory commission or multiple commissions that oversee the fairness, uh, the justness of their services. They oftentimes are subject to licensing, so they have to apply for licensing. They have to maintain their licensing. They have to show up for hearings on licenses or potential complaints against them. So it's a, it's a, it's a big regulatory burden. However, there's some good things about being a common carrier, and that is that people come to rely on your service. You're so baked into the fabric of American society that oftentimes people begin to think that they have a right to your service, a right to phone service, a right to travel by train, a a right to get on the bus. And when they have this right, they tend to use your services more often. And in turn, you can sometimes get better profits over time because people just use your service. They expect to pay the fee and they pay the fee. The negative side to common carrier status is kind of what we talked about. It's a regulatory burden. The fact that they have to comply with legal obligations 
that are in American law. And oftentimes it can be more expensive to be a common carrier because of all these different kind of structures you have to build in to comply with the licensing status. All right, so where am I going with all this? We were supposed to talk about net neutrality and we're talking about common carrier status and the four participants in the internet. Well, where I'm going is I'm going to the Federal Communications Commission. The Federal Communications Commission is a commission in America which regulates interstate and international communications by radio, television, wire, satellite, and cable. And the FCC is also the regulatory commission that has power to regulate our internet. In 2015, the FCC issued the Open Internet Order, which rendered broadband providers as common carriers and subject to the regulations and licensing that go along with that. Shortly after the FCC issued that open internet order, a group of broadbanders, broadband service providers, sued the FCC and they said, listen, you exceeded your authority. There's no way that you can convert broadband service, an informational service, into a telecommunications service that's regulated by Title II and be able to create common carrier status for broadband service. In court, the broadband providers attacked the FCC order. They said that they had no ability, no authority to issue the order, and they really hated the five open internet rules that were attached to this 2015 open internet order. And those five rules are one, service providers are not allowed to block end users from edge providers. Number two, there was no slowing down, we call it throttling, of end users' internet feeds. Number three, there was no favoring some internet traffic over other internet traffic for payment of money or perhaps benefiting a third party, kind of like we talked about in that Hulu example. The fourth open internet rule was that there was no unreasonable interference with end users' ability to access the internet. And finally, the last rule was that broadband providers have to be transparent. They've got to publicly disclose network management practices uh, the performance of their networks, and the commercial terms of service that they offer end users. Well, the broadbanders, the broadband service providers, lost their case against the FCC, and that 2015 open internet order became the law of the land. Then we have the big reversal, that's what I call it. In 2018, the FCC adopted a new order that reclassified broadband service as an informational service as opposed to a telecommunications service, and that took broadband service out of common carrier status. The newly formed FCC noted that they were gonna take a new approach to regulating broadband service. This was gonna be called the light touch approach for governing the internet, where they wanted less regulation over broadband internet service and the providers themselves. Then came Mozilla versus the FCC. Later in 2018, Mozilla, which is an internet company that, remember, produced that, um, uh, that app, uh, Firefox, which is a big popular web browser, you know, 10 years or so ago, they decided with a bunch of other internet companies to sue the FCC and say, no, this 2018 order exceeded the authority of the FCC, and that 2015 open internet order should be the law of the land. So recently, the U.S. Court of Appeal for the D.C. Circuit took on this case, and they issued an order, I think it was on October 1st, 2019. Basically, the court upheld the FCC's 2018 order with one little tweak, and that was 
in the order, there was a provision that preempted state law as it applied to broadband service providers. What that means is there was a provision of the 2018 order, which basically said that state law was invalid to the extent it was stricter than the federal law applying applying to broadband service providers. The effect of the Court of Appeals decision here is that broadband is not a common carrier, and therefore the rules against blocking, throttling, pay-to-play don't apply. And the effect of this ruling is that states are free to pass any laws they see fit to be able to regulate broadband service providers and broadband service within their geographical boundaries. Now, there's some key takeaways from this 2019 decision by the U.S. Court of Appeal. The first one is this Mozilla versus FCC case is not done. It definitely could be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. In the next few years, it could be that we have broadband internet service providers being converted back into common carriers and therefore regulated by Title II of the Telecommunications Act. Another takeaway is that this case is going to go back down to the district court. They're going to take some evidence relating to the FCC's analysis of the life safety issues that are pertinent to broadband internet service providers. The district court also wanted the FCC to consider whether or not there should be a lifeline program that exists for the broadband service providers, even after they've been converted to non-common carriers. Before, when they were common carriers under the 2015 order, there was a lifeline program uh, that provided governmental funds to underserved areas for broadband access. Should that continue to exist now that they're no longer common carriers, do they have an obligation still to provide that lifeline access? That's going to go back down to the trial court. So this case will continue um, in the trial court for a period until there's another appeal, maybe to the U.S. District Court or eventually to the U.S. Supreme Court. The final key takeaway, the most important part of this whole case, is that under the U.S. Court of Appeals ruling, the FCC cannot stop state lawmakers from enacting their own laws requiring broadband fairness. So what the court is basically saying is the FCC does not have the power to be able to tell states that their law, the federal law, is supreme. Only Congress can preempt state law. So in this particular case, the FCC overstepped their bounds by saying, listen, all law that's state law that's stricter than federal law is invalid. The U.S. Court of Appeals said that's not true and and should be invalidated. While that seems all well and good, it is starting to worry some creators, and the main worry derives from the fact that there could be divergent law among the 50 states in America relating to broadband service access. So you could have a state, let's say Texas, that has a light touch on broadband internet service providers, and so they may be able to block access to the internet. They may be able to liberally throttle connections based upon your ability to pay. However, in California, which has much more strict law applying to broadband service providers, they, uh, the, the creators may have a lot of freedom to be able to have no restrictions. And so this may create an unequal footing among creators in different states. A lot of creators say, well, listen, we want the open internet fairness. We want the equality. Uh, we want the reasonable uh, access to, to the internet. 
At the same time, we do want some uniformity among the laws of the states. Otherwise, some states are going to have throttled connections and others won't. And I'm going to have to move to a state that doesn't have throttled connections to be able to get better internet service. And that doesn't seem fair. So that's the main concern. The main fear that creators are facing now is they're wondering what's going to happen with state law as it progresses. And are they going to be limited in their particular state to internet access, maybe be throttled? But you know what I'm really, really interested in is what you think. Do you think that regulation of broadband service providers should be a federal law thing or a state law thing? Is it up to the states? Should they have the ability to make most of the regulations relating to whether or not a broadband internet service provider can throttle a connection or can block connection or can do pay to play? What do you think about blocking access and throttling access in general? Do you think it should be allowed where internet service providers can charge certain amounts for different levels of service, do you think that it's appropriate for broadband internet service providers to strike a deal up with a particular company and then funnel a lot of the connections to that company or slow down the connections to the competitors? Do you think that's fair? Let me know by emailing me at podcast at iancorzine.com. That's podcast at iancorzine.com. I would love to hear what you think about whether or not federal state law should apply. I would love to hear what you think about whether or not there should be blocking, throttling, or pay-to-play in our internet atmosphere. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I love this debate about net neutrality. I love talking about it, so let's talk about it in the future. I hope you got some value out of today's talk. By the way, as a reminder, iancorzine.com is officially up and running, and it's there to help you creators out there kill it on social media. Please remember to subscribe to the Social Media Law Podcast with Ian Corzine. And also, if you could, go on to iTunes or the the new Apple Podcast app and please rate the podcast. That would really help uh, our podcast rise up the rankings. Thank you so much for visiting us today. That is enough for today. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer, and I'll see you next week.